Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I am Danielle Moody. And I'm Wajahat Ali. And once again, we are joined by a special guest to help us figure out democratic messaging. How do we get these people that are inside of our big tent, right, to activate together to do the right thing and stop seeding particular groups, namely those that are religiously affiliated and assuming that they go into the Republican column. So Waj, please do the honors of introducing our guest today. So our guest today is Corey Nathan, who I'm convinced is my Jewish born-again Christian cousin from another mother. You heard that right. <laughs> Corey Nathan is the host of the fantastic podcast, Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. He's a Jew from Jersey who became a Christian. He's an engaged citizen, a an entrepreneur, and like me, he also dabbled in the theater, Danielle. Uh, he has fantastic conversations. He's a man of faith, but he is very, very um, uh, disturbed, like we are, about how the Republican Party in particular has used and abused Christianity to further their hateful agenda. And he is concerned about how faith is actually dividing us, but he sees an opening where faith can actually unite us and hopefully, hopefully save this democracy that we all agree is under assault. Corey, shalom aleikum. Shalom. Moshalom cha. Thank you for having me, Waj. Nice to meet you, Danielle. Wonderful to have you. Um, so, I mean, I just want to, I, I need to get to, I, I need a little bit of history. I think we all need a little bit of history. We need an origin uh, to story. To get to the present day. So, Tell us, Corey, like a bit about your own religious journey um, that has you believe that something that has been created, I think, and for my God, centuries upon centuries used as a divisive tool, used as an oppressive tool. Uh, and I'm talking about organized religion, regardless of, of what your faith may be, has been used um, as a political, politically divisive tool. So talk to us about like your own journey um, to where you are thinking now that we're missing something, that there is an opportunity in the obstacles that have been presented um, by those practitioners. 
it's a it's a really interesting way that that you pose the question, Danielle, because you are getting right to the heart of candidly what my greatest ambivalence has been. Uh, I grew up in a very observant Jewish family, uh, going to we went to an Orthodox synagogue, and <laughs> I'm going to get emotional just thinking about this. But when when I became a Christian, it was the biggest thing along that journey was actually reading the words of Jesus. What I, I started reading uh, in the New Testament and I read what I didn't know at the time was the Sermon on the Mount. And it, it spoke to me in such a powerful way as a, a growing up in a, a, um, in a Jewish family and going to Hebrew school, bar mitzvah, Hebrew high school. What I recognized was this rabbi-like person giving what I recognized as the most powerful Devar Torah, which is like an explanation of Torah portions uh, that, that I'd ever read. And that spoke to me. But I also realized that by the time I got to Revelation 22, and I, I thought, man, this is uh, this, a lot of the questions that I was asking, this is a coherent and cohesive set, not necessarily of answers, but at least a coherent set of steps to the next set of questions that I had, which is why I made that definitive decision to, as they say, accept the Lord Jesus into my life, you know, and all that stuff. But my biggest ambivalence was I knew. I, I grew up very close with my grandmother who was born in uh, Ukraine, in Chernyostrov, Ukraine. And I knew, this, this is where I'm going to get emotional, but like, I knew that the men who came through our town and, and burned down my family's houses and raped our, 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 my ancestors and, and our neighbors and, and beheaded, my, my grandmother tells a story about her, her best friend, her neighbor, uh, the last uh, pogrom that they lived through. Her, her little friend came out of their, her house with the heads of both of her parents in her hands. And the reason I tell this story is because, because those men, the Cossacks and, and, and the men who were rampaging through that town were the men wearing crosses on their chests. Mm. So there's something very visceral in my cultural, religious, family DNA that, that re, like this this set of answers, this set of theological propositions. So the way you asked that question, Daniel, you struck right at the heart of my greatest ambivalence because I know that the cross, the symbols, the you know words from Scripture have been ripped from from the Bible in order to be used as weaponry in these sort of hate-filled rampages, you know, and and historic atrocities uh, th throughout the centuries. So. It's something that I have to reckon with, frankly, that the, the same words that spoke so powerfully to me, like the sermon, you know, so let me take a left turn for a second, <laughs> so to speak. So this, I, I was, I was uh, about two weeks ago, I was quoting directly from the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I didn't think it was too controversial, but it's somebody who identifies as a Christian. And I guess they didn't know that I was quoting directly from Jesus because they're like, where do you get that liberal libtard? Am I allowed to curse, by the way? Like, yeah, of course you, you were allowed say to curse. You want. He was like trying to, you know, beat me up with my with the, the, my supposed libtardness. I'm like, are you what? Do, do, like, do, are we reading the same thing, man? Do you know, like, it's that hippie Jesus that I'm referring to. So, um, it, it's kind of both sides of that same coin. It's like these words and these symbols and the cross and and you know, I was just talking to somebody about you know, the, the terrorists who attacked the Capitol on January 6th were invoking the name of Jesus 
Mm. I mean, I, I don't know how you feel, Waj, you know, in your religious experience, but to me, that's nothing short of blasphemy. That's not, to, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and make excuses and sort of disown it and say, well, they're not real Christians. No, they're using the actual words. They're using the actual symbols. Those are the symbols that I've adopted. So instead of just saying, well, there's that those aren't real Christians and dismissing it, what I understand, Danielle, is I have to reckon with that. I have to reckon with how it has it been abused as such. So, so you, it's a really, man, it, you got right to the heart of it, Danielle. Your answer gave me three podcasts worth of questions. Uh, <laughs> but but let me start off with this one. You're talking about the ambivalence. You're talking about trying to reconcile the beauty versus how the religion is abused and used. And, you know, people who listen to this podcast, they, they should know by now I'm a practicing Muslim. And I always love the opportunity to talk about religion and spirituality and the complexities that exist within it. And, and, and you, right before we started recording, you know, we were having good chat about the complexity where Danielle, you know, just to be a good host was like, so wait, wait a second. Are you Christian right now? You're <laughs> formerly Jew. And you're like, no, 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 no. I'm still Jewish. Uh, and because th there is this fascinating uh, perspective that you have, Corey, where I call you Blade the Daywalker, all of our strengths, none of our weaknesses. Oh, yes. <laughs> you're, you're a practicing nice Christian. Nice reference. You're, thank you. That's an old school reference. And Blade, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, was an excellent comic book movie that people need to Great watch. Movie. Totally underrated, by the way. When everyone ever talks yeah. about the best comic movie, movies, that's top five. But I digress. Such um, a deep cut, Waj, thank all the you. time. An excellent deep. Whenever I go deep with the pop culture references, they're surgical and on point. But, you know, you have this interesting perspective, Corey. You're Jewish. Jewish is an ethnicity for many people. You have it in your blood. You have the history. Spiritually, religiously, you, you found Christianity. I'm a student of religion also. I went to an all-boys Jesuit Catholic high school. You know, Jewish, I went and studied in Israel uh, uh, twice. Uh, I'm a Muslim. And, and I want to ask you this about the duality first, because it's, it, it's top of mind. Happened last night. Primaries. APAC was trending. And for those of you who don't know why APAC was trending, APAC is the American-Israeli political action community, right? Uh, uh, an influential political action uh, group that's very pro-Israel. APAC spent millions of dollars to take out Democratic candidates. A proud Jew, Andy Levin, in Michigan, for being allegedly pro-Palestinian. And APAC was trending because Jews on Twitter were horrified that in their name, APAC was taking out fellow Jews and Democrats, who, by the way, were pro-Israel, but simply said, oh, we're also pro-justice and peace. I'm, I'm uh, perhaps activating the Jewish side of Corey Nathan right now. <laughs> when you see that happening, what's your response? Uh, it, it goes with a long line of groups that are primarily political that want to co-opt uh, cultural, religious symbols in order to further uh, a, a different agenda. You know, it, it bothers me when I go to church and some of my friends at church talk about how great Trump is because he moved the embassy from uh, Tel Aviv to, to Jerusalem. I'm like, that, that's what you got? Like that, let me tell you something. I got, I got family in Israel. I, you know, mm. all my cousins went through the army. They moved there in 1977. Like that, that wasn't, that, that, that's not, that's not the inauguration of, of the second coming. That, that's not this, the, like, you know, and, and, and by the way, even if, even if you think it's a good thing where, you know, uh, uh, a rabbi friend thinks it actually was a good thing, 
But let me tell you something. If 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 the road to get there is is an individual like Donald Trump, like we can hold off on that move. Like that's not the end all be all. Well, Corey, you know, can but- I can I can I just say something real quick and, and get your thoughts on this? The reason why people were so outraged was because, and for those who don't know, APAC is actively working with Christian nationalists. Those yeah. individuals in the Republican Party, like Trump and other, like even Paul Gosar now, straight up anti-Semitic white nationalists. And yeah. so you got people, you got like Jews and APAC working with <laughs> Christian nationalists and anti-Semites in the Republican Party against Democrats. And, and so that's also a reason why people are like, what the hell? What the hell is happening? Well, well, that's the thing. It's kind of like adopting a philosophy, adopting a political agenda that is basically like, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you like the play? You know, mm-hmm. other than that, what do you think about all the people that you're hanging out with, all the people that you're in common cause with now, you know, and, and I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a good analogy for it. But like, listen, I am a diehard Mets fan. And I hope that doesn't cut off our conversation right now if y'all are different fans, but I'm a diehard Mets fan. But let me tell you something, if their way to win in the World Series was hiring some, you know, uh, you know, the equivalent of modern day Rambo to go ahead and assassinate, you know, the entire starting lineup of the Braves. That's I, I'm good. Like that's not a way to win the World Series. Mm. You know what I mean? Like and maybe that's a that's a strained analogy, but sometimes it feels that way. Like, hey, listen, y- you might feel a certain way about different issues, tax policy, foreign policy, immigration, but if if the way to um if the way to uh, achieve Whatever policy you're pushing for is is by the most uh, by the most di- just by waging war by by turning folks that we could find some common cause with or collaborate with or compromise with God forbid we should compromise and turning those folks into absolute enemies by generalization mischaracterization vilification I am not on board so I. I hope that I hope that Waj, I'm not as familiar with that. I, I haven't read up on that particular issue, but what you're saying, that's what it 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 resonates with a lot of what's problematic with what's going on uh in, in our body politic right now. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities 
healthcare workers, providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers, fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think that where where we find ourselves, right, is exactly what you just laid out, Corey, is that the Republican Party has been given an, has been given a series of bucket loads of AR-15s, right? <laughs> and they have been pointing their fingers, right, at Democrats, at anyone who thinks outside of their Christo-fascist fantasy, right, that we have now become the enemy. You have no, there is, there is no desire to compromise, right? And there's no need to when you gerrymander. There's no need to actually just finish recording another show. There's no need to come to a place of compromise um, and, 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 and coordination and connection if you have gerrymandered the very people that you're supposed to be representing and if they have no recourse, right? So you can just mow down whoever is in your way, and then assume that the other people are weak because they too don't strap up and decide that we're just going to go to war when we're trying to figure out like, where is there to come to the table? And so the question that I have for you is you see, as we all do, the ways in which, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I hate talking about, but she never shuts the fuck up. So I have to talk about her. But Marjorie Taylor Greene the other day says, I'm a Christian and I'm a nationalist Hmm. and there is nothing. Don't let anyone tell you that there's anything wrong with Christian nationalism. The last time we were having a conversation about Christian nationalism in this country is when the KKK was freely walking down the streets. Right. And so this is what they are embracing. So when you see that, when you see a Josh Hawley giving a, a fist, which might as well have been a Nazi salute to the insurrectionists on January 6th, when you hear these people using religiosity and rhetoric as a way to hype up and divide people, where do you see an opportunity for us to come together? And maybe, and I'm assuming it's not with that lot, but it's with those that are now finding themselves kind of stepping back and saying, Yo, this is not me. So where do you see that that bridge to be built when they literally are standing with torches in the mm. middle of it? So anytime that uh, the inglorious MTG opens her pie hole, I have this <laughs> sort of my own Oscar moment. And, and, and it's uh, it's get my Lord's name out your mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, like whatever she's uttering is not is not blessed by the Lord. It's not informed by the Bible. Now, if let's take somebody a little, like not quite as, as toxic, I mean, toxic in all of her own ways, but like uh, Sarah Palin. Okay. I knew you were going to say, I can't imagine being in a Bible study with MTG, but I can imagine being in, I've been in Bible studies with people like Sarah Palin. Mm -hmm. I've been in Bible studies with people like, like Josh Hawley. And I, I can make a good case with scripture of where they're off base. Now, what you're describing, Danielle, is it, it is so frustrating because it feels like it's it's hopeless and and it's complete. So I have submitted to the fact that I can't can change that. I can't go out into the public square, snap my fingers, and change all of that all at once. But I bring up the Bible study thing because I can have a conversation with somebody. I can have a conversation with somebody in my church. 
And the truth is that, like, listen, the, the most extreme, loudest, most obnoxious people are the ones who are dominating those conversations. But I'm here to tell you, if there's 20 people in that class, in that Sunday school class, you know, 15 or so of them are more of like the exhausted majority, the, the silenced majority. They just don't feel like there's any oxygen in the room for them to participate in those conversations. And it's a hostile environment for them to say, no, wait a second. I don't think that all immigrants are rapists. My grandparents were immigrants. Like there's not room for that in there. So if there are a few voices to, to speak up and say, no, wait a second, wait a second, can we read the rest of the chapter, Leviticus 19 about immigration? And maybe we'll come to a different conclusion than what, what uh, Tucker is, is exhorting us to do. He's not my pastor. you know. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is I can't control all of it. I can't even convince somebody to change their views 180 degrees in one conversation. But I think, I think if, we, if I approach somebody and remember their humanity, even I can't quite get there with MTG, but I can maybe get there with the Sarah Palin, you know, and I know you guys did a show on this recently. Like I can't get there. There was a line somewhere where the folks who actually went and stormed the Capitol, I can't get there. I'm not going to take those guys out for a beer, but I think, and this is probably further than you would go, but I think there are people who actually showed up for the speeches that I probably could go out for coffee with, that I probably could go out for lunch with. And again, I'm not going to change their mind completely. I'm not going to convince them that the election was the most uh, secure election in, in history, but maybe I can season it with just a little bit of salt. Maybe I, can t- you know, maybe I can make one degree of progress, but it's just the willingness to be there in that conversation. And yeah, more often than not, I come home and I feel like I've been banging my head against the wall, but I just, I don't want to give up on every single one of them. Corey, can I say this? When it comes to the data on this, the majority of white evangelicals, 2016, 2020, you know the data, looking about 70 to 80% all in with Trump. This is even after he was cruel, vicious, corrupt, uh, bumbling, vulgarian, and they're like, no, we're with him. I am skeptical that we can win over those 70 to 80%. Maybe we can peel off five to 10 if we even peel off 5 to 10% of those, I think it's a win. If we can even get 20% of those, that's a win. Before we talk about how, or maybe if we can't, can even win them over, I, I want to, you know, you sit with these folks. And, and, and these folks sometimes sit with me, but they're guarded. They see you as a fellow believer, all right? You might not sit with MTG, but you sit with MTG adjacent. That's what I call Sarah, Sarah Palin. She's <laughs> right, MTG adjacent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned this. I mean, this is still stuck with me when I said at the beginning that you gave me like three podcasts worth of stuff that I was chewing on in your first uh, uh, answer to Daniel's question. You said that uh, a Christian that you know uh, got angry at you for quoting Jesus, right? Yeah. That hippie, vegan, gay Jesus, yeah. that, that diversity, <laughs> equity, inclusion Jesus. Uh, but you he know, didn't even know that I was quoting Jesus. That, that yeah, was that's that what I'm was saying, what right? So, yeah. So, so in in this mindset, and we had the the fantastic professor Christine uh, Kobe Dumay, author of Jesus and John Wayne, on this sh- program before. She talked about the co opting and manufacturing of warrior Jesus, right, by the evangelical Christians. Talk to me and t- tell our listeners the mindset of this person, like because they're not crazy. They don't have horns on their head. They don't have tails. They're just people. Like, what are we dealing with? How do they think? Like what, what's their process like? Right. So I, I, this isn't from a trained sociologist. This is from experience and talking to others. I just play one on TV, I guess. I play one on podcasts. <laughs> no, but from my experience, what I've learned the hard way is that there are primary defining values 
that oftentimes are over and against sound, scriptural, Christian, Judeo-Christian theology. So, and it shows up in any number of ways, you know, and, and so those, those defining, and here's the thing, the defining priorities and values are shaped as sort of anti-values. They're shaped because there's this illusion of a culture war. There's this illusion that they are coming and trying to kill Christmas or whatever it might be, all these silly notions, and it's an illusion. And part of it, I think, is because there is a sense of heroism. And and, um, Professor Dumais talks about this quite a bit. There's a sense of, of heroism, of being able to identify with somebody who is beleaguered and beaten down and we're overcoming. And, you know, and a lot of times I remember when I first became a Christian, it was right before uh, George W. Bush was elected. And if I remember correctly, that first half, uh, the, the first part of his, his tenure, you know, there, there, there were both houses were Republican majorities. And yet I was going to people, going to church with people that were acting as if, well, you know, the Christians are dying. And I'm like, you got a Christian in the White House. You got Republicans both sides of, you know, of Congress. Um, Christians and, are doing okay compared to the other groups. They were a minority that were persecuted. <laughs> you're, like, I'm like, who, you're like, Christians are doing okay. Yeah. But that yeah. that is honestly, but that that to me, like I, I listen to that as like, uh, you know, a, a black queer person in America. And I'm like, really, really? Yeah. Like you, you literally are tying your own hands behind your back and saying that you've been captured, right? Like right. you literally are, you're, you're sitting in a puddle with your head up saying I'm drowning like that, that meme. And I'm just like, you're, you're the beleaguered one. <laughs> like I'm, right. I'm so confused. So, right. So that, but that's the mindset it, you, you know, you asked to understand it. This is the best as I understand it. So when Trump in his second uh, race adopted the, the, the phrase, he's fighting for us, that there's a lot of people who have this worldview that is under this illusion that they're coming to take our guns and they're coming to take our jobs. And they're, you know, they're, they're want to, um, they're attacking our way of life whatever that means. It's a general sense. It's not even based on lived experience, but more of a general sense. And you know, Trump didn't invent it, but he certainly played into it and turned up the volume on it. And it was very appealing. It, it allowed a lot of folks to feel, number one, like they were a part of something, that somebody was telling a story that made sense to them, that somebody was giving um, words and, and articulating a story that, yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. And then also feeling like they were part of a winning team, right? That he's fighting for us. So that's the mindset. And it's, again, it's over and above. Like we sit in, in, um, in, in big church, you know, and the main pastor gives a sermon. And the, the, the downside to that, though, is even if he's speaking truth, even if he is addressing directly some of what's ailing our culture, he's only got one hour a week. You know, but a lot of my friends from church go home and spend 10, 15, 20 hours a week listening to Pastor Tucker, listening to Pastor Sean, listening to Pastor Will Cow Majority or what have you. They're, and and Pastor Dave, you know, and Pastor Peter, they can't compete. My, my, you know, my pastors, they can't compete with that. So they're, they're fighting an uphill battle, even if they do have the courage and the integrity to speak truth about the words, characters and actions of Donald Trump and how scripture every page practically speaks against the, the um, testifies against the words, actions, character of Donald Trump. Hold up. 
Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. No, I'm just like, because when you, you were like rattling the names of, of the Fox News hosts, and I'm thinking Pastor Tucker. And I'm like, well, yeah, he gets he gets to, you know, proselytize five days a week, lying to tens of millions of people. Right. And even when they're brought to court to court to say you're a liar and you're a danger. Oh, it's just entertainment. But yet I see yeah. I see no entertainment sticker paste on any of their on any of their shows. The question that I have, Corey, you know, too, is that. America's discrimination, racism, misogyny, Islamophobia, you name it, is wrapped up in religiosity as well. And I think that for me, you know, different from the two of you that are that, you know, that are here right now, subscribe to an, an organized religion. I do not um, and, and haven't since I was probably 10 years old when I asked my grandparents uh, to stop going to church. It just didn't it didn't resonate with me. I'm a person that is deeply spiritual and, and has and believes in faith and people, um, but I don't necessarily believe in one one prophet. Um, I say that because I, I, for me, it's how, how do we again, come together and allow people to either be of the faith that they are right. And recognize the individuality and the freedom of other people to be said faith without then allowing religiosity to dictate our bodily autonomy as it is right now, right? We have these, what I'm referring to are these overlords on the Supreme Court who are not elected by the people that are able to, to say in, you know, in, in their, in their decisions, in their opinions that, you know, there really should be no real separation between church and state. Like, you know, this goes again, life begins at this stage. And I'm like, I thought that, you know, God got to decide when life began and, and, you know, and ended. Right. And now you were taking, you were taking these terms, you were taking these scriptures and you were dictating to the rest of us how we should, I, I'm saying, if you want to be a Christian, be a Christian, you're Jewish, be Jewish, be Muslim, be atheist. I don't care, but don't then press upon me 
the values that you've chosen to subscribe to. And so I'm curious as to how we, how we, how we, I guess, rationalize our ideas of freedom and liberty as it pertains to how you practice, but also how we are all meant to live. Yeah. So you're striking upon a bunch of uh, intertwined issues for me. And one, I'll just confess, is is that it's a point of ambivalence for me where word, great words like evangelism, for example, have been hijacked, you know, or, or even not even religious words like patriot, freedom, you know, a symbol like the American flag, all of which can be good things. And what I'm ambivalent about is do we, do those of us to whom they, though words like that have deeper meanings, do we just seed that ground? Evangelicalism. Uh, it, do, do we just seed it to those who've now hijacked it for other causes? Yeah, so I, I am not ready to seed that ground to folks who have taken it uh, for, for these other ungodly purposes, you know? But I do, I, I'll, I'm just being honest and saying I do, I do wrestle with it, you know? And, you know, to the point about like, there are some really contentious issues, obviously, some of them, and, and I, I don't want to apologize for the fact that some of the decisions that I make are informed by, I'm not even going to say my faith, but my um, theological and philosophical convictions that I've arrived at, um, and faith is in there. So I don't want to apologize for that. I don't want to water that down and pretend, just as an example, that I, I happen to believe that life starts at conception, but that's, that's my belief. But I think that I can find common cause. I had this conversation with my brother because my brother feels uh, differently about it than I do. And I can, he, he made a really good illustration of like, listen, we've had the misfortune of being around deathbeds of loved ones. And that was a very personal decision. In one instance, we had to decide whether to keep our grandfather on a respirator or not. And the way that, the way that decision came down was my baba, my grandmother was still alive. So she was the primary decision maker. We were there as a family to provide succor and support for, for Baba in making this decision. And we all had a vested interest in it because we all loved Zayda, my, my grandfather. That he, my brother was using as an analogy for, it, it's, I, if somebody next door to me is in that situation, but on the beginning part of life, it is not my place, even though I have, have this belief, it is not my place to impose myself around their proverbial bed, their birth bed, if you will. That's not my place. You know, and 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 the truth is, I could be wrong about that. I could, I what I realize is I have this belief, and it's informed by scripture and theological and philosophical um, starting points. But I also realize I could be wrong, you know, and especially especially if I'm arriving at if somebody is asking me to to participate in this conversation in this excruciating decision, I, I, I'll participate in it, but lovingly lovingly with the person who is most affected by that decision. And, and with the thought in mind that my primary job is to provide support to that, that person, right? Not, not to wag my finger and say, hey, you're doing this wrong and, and I'm right and you're wrong. And like, 
So I, I think we got this whole conversation, the way that we think about it, the way we approach these conversations all wrong. Where can we actually value all of life, the mother, the child after it's born, through the end of life? Like, so I think there's a lot of places where we can agree before we get to these points of me saying, I'm right because I own what's right. I, you know, like having that sort of colonialist approach to being ha having to be right about everything. You know, Corey, I appreciate you, your candor. And I think we're similar in this respect that we take our religion seriously, but we don't want to impose our religion on anyone else, especially as yeah. Americans. Right? You know, I'm a practicing Muslim. I take it seriously. I went to an all-boy Jesuit Catholic high school. It was service for others, right? Uh, but people are always surprised. They're like, oh, well, I don't understand. You're a practicing Muslim, but then how do you support a woman's right to choose? Because I'm like, my value should not be imposed upon others. You know, marriage equality, let people do what they want to do, right? Like, uh, let me live my life, you live your life. And if we expand and stretch this country to accommodate all of us, it's the only way we're going to succeed as a multiracial democracy. The problem also is, and I'm glad uh, Danielle uh, talked about her experience, is for many people, religion has been a institution of oppression. I don't blame them for being unmasked and unchurched and unsynagogued. They're like, you are oppressing me. This has hurt me as a woman, as a queer person, as a poor person, as a person of color. So I understand their frustration as well. But the reality also is you can't wish away people of, who are atheists. You can't wish away people who are religious and take their religious values seriously. And I've talked about this briefly on the show before, that there are Democratic voters who believe in God, who or are in part inspired by the religious values. And we know that bad faith right-wing slogans sometimes appeal to these people, and they appeal to those values in bad faith. And sometimes that those are the margins which win elections. So you might disagree here with my, my assumption. I believe that progressives and Democrats, if they spoke with the religious language, they can win over some of these folks in these margin elections, which are now every single election. I'll give you an example of Pete Buttigieg, progressive, but talked about yeah. his faith. Mallory McMorrow, in her yeah. now viral response, she was a, a guest recently, she was fantastic. She talked very specifically, I'm a white Christian woman. And I know that went over some white folks in Michigan. Is there an avenue or an opportunity here for Democrats to use faith and faith language and, and, and speaking in a, in, in, in a faith language to win over certain swing voters? And if there is, what should they do? I'll give you a really concrete example. So I've voted uh, Republican here in my district, state Senate, state assembly, time and time and time again. Jersey? Uh, no, I'm in California now. I'm in California. Southern California. Okay. So it's California 27. So I, when I met Christy Smith, who's now the Democratic candidate for the House, U.S. House, the first time I met her, I introduced myself. Hey, Christy. She was at the state assembly at that moment. I said, hey, I, Christy, I voted against you a couple of times. She said, oh, that's cool. You know, we're a democracy. That's your right. And, um, but then she asked me why. And I told her, you know, I'm a small business guy. And, you know, you're supporting some issues that are against my best interests. And frankly, you know, I'm a Christian. And some of the things that, that you're really passionate about, I'm sort of at odds with. So we didn't really get into the religious part of it, but I think the way that she went about the business part of it was really productive. And I'll drive home to a really important point. And she said, you know what? I have a small business committee. Would you come and, and be a part of, of that committee? And I said, ah, Christy, you, know, I, you don't need to give me lip service. That's cool. I know you have good intentions, but you're a Democrat. I'm a small business fiscal conservative. But she said, no, 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 really come. Just 
come one time. And if it's not productive, you don't have to come again. But I'm, I really want to hear your voice. To her credit, I went and I went again and again. I was a part of it. And listen, we still disagree on a lot of issues, probably 75% of the time. But I saw my act, the language of what I was talking about in those meetings, get into legislation that she was supporting. So she, she literally represented me in that instance. So the way that this, the way that I think we can apply that in other instances is if I am in a conversation and somebody asks me, you know, if, if somebody wants my support or somebody wants me to be a part of a movement, and the second that I am part of a meeting, for example, or the second that I'm part of a conversation, I am, uh, I don't want to use, if, if I'm disqualified because I have a certain belief, if I am made to feel that I am not welcome, then, then it's, a, it's a great way to alienate somebody mm. like me. But when, when I watched the DNC in 2020, the Democratic National Convention, and I saw that when I, I used to, I grew up in Jersey, so I saw Governor Christine Todd Whitman, a longtime Republican speaking, and I saw Colin Powell speaking, and I saw John Kasich speaking, and I saw Meg Whitman, a longtime Republican out here speaking, that said, I, I feel that I can be a part of that. But if I show up to a meeting and, and the fact that I happen to go to church means that I am disqualified from participation then it's a, it's a really good way of losing my vote. So I, I don't cool. know if that answers your question. That but does it, I, answer the question and let it be known. You're always welcome here. Uh, you are <laughs> our blade, the daywalker. You are now our favorite Jewish born again, Christian guest <laughs> of all time. Uh, we appreciate you, your candor. We appreciate you coming into what some people deem as a hostile space, but it isn't. Uh, we love talking to folks and, 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 and it's comforting to know that there is some common ground here and that there are enough people who realize that there are some forces in this country that are trying to rip apart this multiracial democracy. And so let it be known, you can come back here anytime. We hope uh, our listeners can join you on your podcast. And that podcast, again, is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. And real quick, where can they find you, Corey? Easiest way to find uh, TPNR is politicsandreligion.us. It's politicsandreligion.us. Or you can follow me on Twitter, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y-S as in Sam Nathan, Corey S. Nathan. And uh, yeah, let's just have fun, have some have some fun and get into it. Uh, I inshallah get into it with the best of intentions. I'm Wajat Ali, joined of course as always by Daniel Moody. This is Democracy Ish, and inshallah we'll be back next week doing our best to try to save this country from itself. <laughs>